The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, hey, welcome to Dose of Leadership. So happy you're tuning in. Equity Bank-sponsored podcast today where I have Michael K. Higgins on the show. Mike is a founding partner of MSP Consulting. He's been in the consulting business for more than 30 years, helping clients increase performance. He's got extensive experience working with businesses, optimizing non-cash payments across many industries, and he's presented at banking conferences all over to help financial institutions improve payment services to businesses. Prior to MSP Consulting, he was a partner at Accenture, which is one of the world's leading technology and management consulting firms. It's always fun and fascinating to talk to other consultants, but I really enjoyed this conversation because it validates many of the lessons that we have talked about here on Dose of Leadership for almost eight years. This concept of a decentralized culture and the benefits of that, the intentional, the intentionality behind culture, Mike is a real big fan of that. He ex- explains and talks about how he really is his, one of his primary purposes and one of the primary reasons for his success is this day-to-day intentionality of culture building, talking about purpose, talking about um, their legacy, which he spends a lot of time, always reminding the folks that are working with him, what are we trying to accomplish? What are the outcomes? What do we want to be down the road? And doing that on a daily basis. And that's really the takeaway for me from this conversation. Playing the long game, that this is a marathon. Leadership is a marathon. It's not a sprint. All those old cliches, but it just rings home true. And it's just interesting to hear from a real-life business leader, entrepreneur who is out there and living and breathing this stuff, and it's paying off. I really think you're going to enjoy this conversation. hope you get some of those nuggets that I got out of this conversation. Again, this show is brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank. been an honor to have them be part of the show over two years now. Equity Bank is a team, and you've heard me say it before, that knows what it takes to start and grow a business. They understand leadership. I know the owners personally. I've been to their leadership conference. They've had me present at their leadership conference. So it's been exciting to be a part of them, feel like part of their family, and exciting to watch them grow into one of the fastest growing banks in the Midwest. They're now listed on the NASDAQ exchange and has locations all across Kansas as well as Oklahoma, Missouri, and Arkansas, and they have plans to expand well beyond that. Clearly, this team at Equity Bank knows how to lead for growth. I honestly feel that. If it feels like your current bank is more of a follower than a leader and you want to work with a bank that really understands your needs, check out my friends at Equity Bank. Go to equitybank.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. Now let's join our conversation with Michael Higgins here on Dose of Leadership. Well, Mike, it's an honor to have you on the show. Welcome to Dose of Leadership. Well, thank you. Uh, really appreciate the opportunity to get to talk today and appreciate you inviting us on the show. Absolutely. Uh, I'm always, obviously, in, as a 
consultant myself. I always like talking to fellow consultants. How did you get involved in the consulting business in the first place? Oh, uh, interesting question, Richard. Uh, I actually, uh, coming out of college, I, I went to work for what became Accenture at one point, Arthur Anderson oh, yeah. transformed into Anderson Consulting. So my whole career, uh, I cut my professional career, my teeth in professional career on uh, consulting. Uh, in that world, we were consulting with large Fortune 500 companies, major transformation pro- projects yeah. and programs. In my current world with MSP Consulting, we are very focused on mid to small size companies in a very niche area of the payment space. So it's a, quite a different world, but still very much a consulting advisory bent to it. Well, what a great way to cut your teeth. I mean, with Accenture for sure. I mean, my goodness, yeah, that's a. I bet you you saw a lot of um, a lot of leadership lessons were probably learned there for sure. Oh, a- absolutely. Uh, typically, the work we were doing, you might consider uh, very intense, high pressure for sure. Uh, also, probably high risk. That's one reason Accenture gets involved in those programs with with large companies is because they're difficult. So bringing people through an intense program like that over what tended to be could be a half a year to multiple years uh, required a lot of uh, leadership uh, at at all levels uh, through the groups that were driving those. So, so yes, it was uh, definitely challenging, but um, also a great learning ground. So, Prior to that, what was the idea of like, hey, someday I'm going to grow up and be a, a consultant? I mean, what was the dream prior to that? Sometimes people use people usually don't. What I found anyway, at least it was my case. I didn't set out to be a consultant someday. I kind of fell into it. What about you? Yeah, it, very much the same. Uh, one thing we thrive on is transparent communication, Richard. And <laughs> right. so, coming out of college, I had an engineering degree, right? Uh, and I had several offers in the engineering field. Uh, it was a ripe time uh, when I graduated. Uh, but the one thing I, I, I had determined through my engineering curriculum is the one thing I wasn't going to do when I graduated was engineering. <laughs> right. So there was yeah. an opportunity to go to what at the time with Arthur Anderson and company in their consulting division and work in this area of information technology, which was kind of still new and growing. It was pretty exciting. So I saw it as an opportunity to to jump in and work across industry lines uh, in a new area that, you know, clearly was going to be growing and have more and more importance in business. And so that's kind of how I got into it was really by deciding not to go in another direction and use (laughs) that as an alternative. That's funny. I got a computer science degree and I know at the end of it, I was like, that's the last thing I want to do is be a computer scientist. I bet, you know, once you get down that path, you know, you're kind of committed to the, the degree anyway, at least for my case it was. And I went in the Marine Corps, so I, I had to, I had to graduate by a certain date to get my commission. So I just stuck with it. But um, yeah, I can, I can relate how sometimes when you, you think this will be interesting, you get down the path like, well, no, that's not what I want to do. But at the same time though, that, that experience, um, certainly wasn't wasted because I mean, you, you learned a lot about, uh, that field. So when you went into the kind of the IT consulting piece, uh, and I'm sure you were rather young, you probably weren't intentionally thinking about leadership. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I, I would say that's a, a very accurate assessment. Um, you know, I was 
uh, numbers driven, yeah. very much about a task oriented, a right. accomplishing tasks, um, delivering projects. It wasn't till later, and I'd say quite a bit into my career, that the idea of leadership and what that really meant started to become important to me and and started thinking about that in terms of how do how do I get better at that? How do I uh, uh, epitomize a good leader in, in the groups I'm running? And that really came later in my career. Yeah, it, it, it tends to, and, and I, particularly with technical degrees, and I know I've worked around a lot of engineers and um, a lot of them became great friends. They kind of said the same thing that they were kind of, they went into their careers, you know, kind of um, data driven, driven by the facts. And, and everybody kind of has this, I don't know if you call them splat moments or epiphanies or whatever. Something happens. Sometimes it's a gradual, sometimes it's a slow burn. But at some point you reach a, like, okay, we've got to start tackling some of the human element pieces here um, if we're going to be successful, right? Because we've seen a lot of dysfunction. And I think early on, I know I was the same way, even though I went into the Marine Corps, which was so leadership driven. And then it took a lot of time because, you know, we're all kind of, what I say, lawyer up on the facts and the data, you know what I mean? And which is important, <laughs> which is important. But at some point you got to understand the human element, right? I mean, otherwise, because that's where all the that's where all the problems and challenges come in is from communication and, and learning how to deal with all the different personalities and all those challenges, right? At some point we got to figure out the human element. Oh, I, I absolutely agree. And it, it, even if I think to my Accenture days in some of the large transformational programs we were doing, typically the success of those programs hinged on how well we got the, the human element addressed, as you said, the, the organization, the people to adopt the new solution or the new way of doing business and take ownership of it and make it work, yeah, right? It, yeah. it, that really is what would be the tipping point of whether one of those long, large transformational projects actually drove bottom line value in, and had the impact in those businesses that we were targeting from day one. Yeah, for sure. Do you find it, this is interesting question do you find it challenging if you had to look at groups and i hate to stereotype people in groups but i know from my own personal experience working with a lot of engineers and in, in various backgrounds that sometimes as a group as a collective engineering folks can be some of the more challenging people to to lead or understand the concepts of leadership you know what i mean does that make sense what is your personal experience with that you, you know, I, I, I can't say that I've, I've had that. It can be challenging from the standpoint that if you're going to set a direction, if you're going to provide a vision that this is what we're doing, how we want to get there, you, you have to figure out how to let them participate in figuring out the how. Yes. Right? Yes. And if you can do that, then they can have ownership in it. If you don't do that, yeah, you can. people will go do tasks, Right. But there, there's a big gap between ultimate result when somebody's just doing a task versus they feel ownership. They had input on the how. How are we going to get there? They understand it and have, uh, I'm using a lot of buzz, buzzwords here, but have internalized it so they can understand, here's how I'm going to get that done. That has, makes a big difference. And true with 
all types, including engineers who tend to, to be, you know, as you said, data analytic based. So how do you appeal to that? Um, and then they ha- let them have ownership and, and how they're going to get something done uh, and achieve our end goal. Uh, I, I And I find that true across the board, though. I wouldn't uh, Absolutely. necessarily say that's just, you know, technical or engineering based backgrounds. No, I love uh, I love your answer, and I agree with you 100. percent I kind of I kind of equate it to particularly when we're doing with business, and I know I was always in the middle. It's kind of like um the opposing magnet theory. It's kind of like on one end I had the business unit that was driving schedule and budget and um, timelines, and on the other hand I had the engineering side, which you know if if you let one extreme go to the next, if I let the business unit go to one extreme we're going to do it too fast, too cheap, and it's going to be unsafe. If I let the engineers go unchecked, they're going to do what engineers love to do. They're going to engineer it to death, right? Because that's what they love to do, right? And so in somewhere, it was my job trying to bring those magnets as close as they could together, right? So that balance. And and the way that I did it was what you just exactly said, is making sure the engineers understood – how what they did was so important and why we're doing it this way and went right. right. And, and competing. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. If you can, and that goes to any, like you said, any human being, if you let them know what it is we're doing and why we're doing it, and then you give them that intent kind of, and, and let them come up with the plan and that ownership of it. That's, that's the secret sauce, I think. You yeah. I, I think that's what uh, it creates that, what I mentioned early, kind of the, excitement in being in leadership exactly, yeah. and getting to do that when it works, it's exciting. And it's, it's an amazing thing to watch. It's also the challenge, right? You're trying to set a vision. You have probably multiple things uh, pressing at what you need to achieve and time frames, And as you said, budgets and whatnot, and you're trying to fit all that together, set a direction, but at the same time, let your team be part of the solution. Right. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and 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 have that ownership. And, and that can be get very challenging at times, uh, sometimes time pressures, whatever it may be, just make that difficult to do. You kind of want to jump to the answer instead of allowing that process to occur. And, and, and ultimately, you'll be better off to let the process occur. But but there's, you know, as leaders, we're humans, too. Right. And we kind of give to these external pressures sometimes that. We try to shortcut things a bit, and ultimately, that probably doesn't play out well in, in the end in most cases. Yeah, I think that you're, you're kind of highlighting, I think, probably one of the biggest challenges, particularly for mid or, middle and senior leadership with all those pressures, is you got to fight that tendency, and what I'm hearing you say, to insert yourself uh, into the solution. Uh, you know, if, if you're particularly when you're pressured um, and you're not getting the results seemingly that you think you need uh, the tendencies to insert yourself lower and lower in the organization, dispensing the efforts of those who should be, as you said, <laughs> solving the problem. And, and that just creates even more chaos. Right. And it just, yeah, that, that's well stated um, in, in resisting that temptation and letting, I kind of, in my career, uh, I've always thought about whether you call it the 80, 20 or the 90, yeah. 10 rule. Yeah. The, the idea that, you know, I've been very blessed throughout my entire career, whether at Accenture or now with MSP, 
you know, I, I get to work with great people that are sharp, self-motivated people that want to do great things. Right. So part of my challenge is to stay out of their way. Yeah. Um, and what I find is they, you know, I kind of say, use the rule, Hey, you can take this 90% of the way. There's probably going to be 10% of whatever you're doing that is, you're going to need help. And that's what I'm here for. Right. But you, you are more than capable. And in time, you're going to be the one sharing that same perspective with, with somebody you're managing as well. And as, as you grow in your career. So I, I try to do that is really apply that and say, Hey, I'm here to support the team. You know, I work for them really. And, and to fill that 10% gap. But, but I, again, I've been very blessed. I, I I've had just tremendous teams to work with throughout my career. So, so uh, maybe I've been spoiled a little bit that way. Well, I don't, I don't know. You know I mean? I think, I think if you go with it, with the approach that you kind of, what I'm hearing that you've adopted over the years is understanding that your job as as the leader is to take the time and the patience and the and, and it's and I don't think we can do it enough. I don't think you can overdo it by the way of communicating what we're trying to accomplish and why we're doing it. And it's hard to do that because of again the pressures and the time pressures and it's a long game and. Um, I, to me, I think you're one of those guys. It sounds like, and just I, I've only known you here for 15 minutes or so, but you seem like you understand explicitly that business is an infinite game, and it takes an infinite mindset, if that makes sense. And I think the problem that we run into business and in the culture is that a lot of times leaders look at business as a finite game. You, you know what I mean? And um. Does that make sense? Do you, you know what I'm trying to say? In other words, business is not a finite game, but we treat it sometimes like it is. You know, like it's all about winning and losing and, and this and that. But in reality, it's about um, it's about creating a long-term culture. And you didn't say that explicitly, but I think it's about – and to create that long-term culture, meaning it's going to succeed well beyond after you leave, it, it takes that, that time and that patience to communicate – and develop other leaders. I don't know. Does that make sense? Does anything I'm saying make sense or resonate with you? Yeah. Particularly when you mentioned the culture word there. Um, and, and uh, if once you get me going down that path, we could spend a lot of time, <laughs> but uh, I, I don't know that I thought about it in terms of finite versus infinite. I really like that concept that you're, you just shared. I don't know that I had put it in that context for myself, Yeah, but I like that 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 framework. Uh, I do think what you said around what I have thought a lot about, what I do like in, in what you were sharing there around culture and establishing something that's ongoing, that's beyond ourselves. I, I will say that was is a key aspect in MSP consulting that we we've, we've been able to accomplish and 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 we have some pride in that is that we we've. Uh, we have really good alignment top to bottom in our company. We're a small company. So, so, but from, from top to bottom in our company, all our people understand why we're in business, what we're trying to do, uh, how we want to be that. And, and the kind of culture point 
is around, you know, kind of the, the what are buzzwords today. But we think a lot about our legacy as a business. How do we want to be thought of it and our, what our legacy is going to be that's well beyond myself or the other leaders in the business? Um, it is much more about how do we want to be thought of and what are our core values in the business that drive our decision making and that our people can use every single day to drive their decision making because all, all our people have to make decisions every day. And so that alignment around who are we, how do we want to be thought of, what kind of, think of it as what kind of person do, do we want others to think of us as? Well, what kind, how do we want others to think of us and what's the legacy we're going to leave in this industry we're in? Uh, that's what motivates our people day to day. And it's also what gives them the ability to make the decisions they have to make every single day, day in and day out, knowing that as long as they're aligned with, with who we are and what we want to be and what our core values as a business are, they're on good, solid ground and they can make those decisions. And they have the, the latitude to decide what they need each day, day in and day out. Yeah, I like that. And so when you when you went into creating an MSP with that kind of mindset, is that something you morphed into or is that something as you, you and your partners kind of were sitting around the table drawing the, the concept on a napkin and going, what, how do I, what, what kind of consultant consultancy do we want to be? Was that part of your intentional culture from the beginning or is that something that kind of was already inherent within you? Obviously it was, but it just kind of came out and became more clear. The alignment and the clarity kind of happened as you started rolling. I mean, which was it? It it it, it came out over time. So yeah. I, I think in the early days, you know, uh, you know, we were so focused on sur survival, getting the thing going, <laughs> right, right. That so that we could be around to have a team and have a culture. Uh, so so I think our our. our in the initial years, the the focus was was less in, in this area we're discussing. As we kind of grew as a company, we did we kind of came into how are we going to align the company, and we did have very intentional thoughts. And I can tell you, I was a guy. If if at one point in my career, as I mentioned earlier, if you'd come to me and wanted to talk about core values and what's our mission and where are we going and who do we want to be, I kind of would have shut down because I had a lot of work to do and I just need to get my desk and do my work. Right. Right. Now trying to figure out how to, how to truly have a company that's going to run well beyond us and, and be the thing that we had have envisioned and how we want to be known. It really requires some careful thinking about those things. I'm kind of flippantly sharing, like, who are you? What do you want to be? What is your legacy? And we really spent a lot of time discussing and thinking about that and then how find our people with that. So they want that too. And they want to own it as like we do. And, and that took a lot of thought. So we, it wasn't day one. We, it came over time and it came with a, a fair amount of effort um, to get on the same page. You mentioned, I have two business partners. They're, they're tremendous folks. And um, you know, it's a marriage. So you got to come to the table together and, and come to consensus on things, particularly around things like this. And, and so that took real effort. 
Yeah, it usually does, right? I mean, I, th- I think a lot of times we sit there and we hear the words mission, vision, values, and culture, and we kind of glaze over because, as to your point, we got we got work to be done. You know, work has to be done, right? But right. understanding who you are, what you stand for, is part of that work, as you said, and it does take a tremendous amount of intentionality and effort, and um, it's something that you can't treat lightly. So I do appreciate the intentionality behind it, and it spills over, obviously, to to your clients. It's interesting as you kind of niche down and you created MSP consulting, you guys are all about payment solutions, right? I mean, it's like, how do, how do you get, someone comes to you because I come to you because I want to get paid faster. Is that what, why would I come, why would I come to MSP consulting? Well, it's a good question. So our company, we really advise in businesses and we implement solutions to optimize their payment acceptance, as you mentioned, uh, capabilities, particularly around accepting credit card or ACH type payments, non-cash payments, if you will. Yeah. Um, And optimized in this case is really evaluate their cost structures and identify cost takeout and improve their processes, which could involve payments sooner, definitely, uh, might involve just more efficiency in their payments. And certainly a core part of our value we drive is around uh, fee reduction or cost takeout in their cost structures for accepting payments. Um, and that's, it's a very niche area. Um, but uh, so our, our, our value proposition is around cost takeout and then improved service over time for our clients. Yeah, it really does sound niche down, which I think is great. If you found, you know, if you if you're the experts in it, and again, I I can't speak a lot to how uh, payment acceptance solutions or you know how big of a cost or how much of a headache it is for businesses. But I suppose if you're pretty large, you could probably rack up a tremendous amount of fees if you're doing a lot of business. I would imagine. So anything that you can do to shave that off would probably be a huge cost savings. I don't know. I'm I'm speaking from naivete here. No. You're exactly right. In the payments industry, businesses and all types of businesses, now the uh, um, payments through credit card is accelerating in all industry segments. So people think about restaurants and they think about brick and mortar retail, but the reality is it's accelerating in all industry segments, uh, healthcare, business to business, manufacturing, distributing, professional service firms, you name it. All businesses are doing that, and it's a major cost component on their P&L. They, they could be, you know, you can have uh, friction, if you will, or drag of 3 to 5% cost in those payment channels, um, and, and you, they definitely can be optimized. If, if you look across our client base, we manage several thousand clients across the U.S., probably around $2 billion a year in dollar volume we manage now and growing. Um we probably drive on average around 25% cost reduction as a part of our value. And then we've improved their processes and efficiencies and helped them reduce risk as well. So, so it is definitely for business. um, It is definitely a key item that they're looking to in cost containment and cost control for sure. What about um, someone who's, I can't even think what type of business would, you know, do you, they, I can't imagine what business isn't, but I'm not using credit card payments. I don't know even how to do it. Is it, are you a solution to that or, or do you steer me to how to get it set up or 
or what? I know that sure. might be a simplified question, but. No. Uh, yeah, we, we help. We, there's a lot of times there's businesses that are thinking that they may need to, to be able to accept payments through say credit card channel uh, payments or, or ACH or something. And we definitely guide them on what to think about, what to consider, what are the options uh, and how to be set up to do it so that you can optimize your setup. Uh, we're not afraid, um, Richard, to, to honestly, that if we don't think a business is well suited to, to needing to do it, we'll advise them they shouldn't really pursue it. Um, so we're not in the game to just sell our service, right? We're, we're in the game to advise the business on what's in their interest and keep, keep that at the forefront of what we're doing. So every once in a while, we'll, we'll have somebody that that's referred to us that, that is interested in doing it. And it just may not make sense because there's a cost, you know, it comes at a cost. And so you want to make sure that if you're doing it, that there's the value of accepting credit card payments is, is worthwhile, right? That you're going to get reduced sales outstanding or reduced, you know, uh, uncollected payment or something like that, that, it, that there's value behind it because it does come at a cost. So we just try to make it transparent, educate them on the cost structure and what to consider and, and then help them identify the options that are going to best fit the business. Most businesses out there now accept credit and debit cards as a form of payment. Almost all. There's very few that that usually that's going to be because of some regulated um, requirement that that may not allow it. But almost all businesses out there are accepting payment, and they've really been driven there. The the consumers, or if if other companies are their customers, so if they're a B two B type business. Uh, they're getting demand to accept payment that way. And so they're driven that direction. And, and our job is to, if you're going to do this, how do we optimize it? So it has minimal impact on your P&L and it's efficient. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I mean, even as a consultant myself, I take credit card, almost exclusively take credit card payments. But I know the, I know the challenge of being a small business owner of, of my options are, you know, setting up a merchant account and all that kind of stuff is kind of a hassle and everything else. And then, of course, then I've got, you know, Stripe and, and PayPal. But then again, the fees with using Stripe and, you know, that's a big chunk. If I, I'm getting paid, you know, $75,000 for the consulting fee and doing it through Stripe, that's probably not the smartest way to get it because that's going to be a big chunk taking it. Right. And so right. I guess knowing what the salute, are there alternatives out there besides doing something like a Stripe or PayPal or we're a merchant account. What you know? What are the ways? And obviously, there's ACH as well as getting direct transfers and everything. But um, no, it's, I, I, I I get it. So yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah, and, and you're you're right on track, Rich, Richard. There's there's definitely um, uh, different options out there that businesses can consider that maybe they didn't weren't even aware of that might help them achieve the same goals, but but not incur the same level of cost to get there. Uh, the other issue we often run into is businesses just feel like there's a lack of service ongoing, right? That if they need help, they can't get it. It's it's cumbersome and frustrating. And so part of what we've developed is to make sure that we have a, a support infrastructure in our company to make sure that doesn't happen for our clients, that they have direct support yeah. and that 
any service needs they have are there. And then we, of course, in our case, since our value proposition is uh, a lot of it is centered around cost reduction, we actually manage our clients ongoing and monitor them uh, uh, to make sure that the performance is achieved and those, that cost reduction is achieved and we report that back to them ongoing. Great. Is fraud and fraud protection part of your value portfolio? It is. You know, you've, you hit a great topic. In, in this industry segment, fraud uh, is on, on the climb. And, uh, of course, there's been initiatives over the last couple of years that have helped to actually reduce fraud, particularly in the face-to-face -face retail segment. So card present, you might say face-to-face -face handing your car card to somebody and they're swiping or dipping your card with the chip cards and all that, that was all centered around reducing fraud um, in the face-to-face -face card present environment. But what's happened and was actually expected to happen is fraud is on the increase in the card not present environment, taking transactions over the phone or through a website, et cetera. And so that's a, that's a great topic to address with our business clients is to understand what are the basic things you can do to help prevent fraud when you're in those environments. And, and there's, I call it typically blocking and tackling. It's not rocket science, but there's basic fundamental uh, practices a business can use to make sure that they're using best efforts to try and avoid fraud. Uh, and, and that's that's key. It, it is on the climb in, in the U.S. It has been globally, but in the U.S. particularly now that the retail card presence side has kind of gotten better and locked down. Uh, so to speak, the bad guys turn their attention to the card not present environments to go go address that. Yeah. Interesting stuff. What's next for you guys? I mean, what are you looking as you look towards the future, particularly in this? COVID-19 world, how are you pivoting and what's what's next for you guys? Oh, this is a great question. Um, so COVID-19 actually has uh, represented opportunity for us to help our clients even more, right? So they have different requirements now in this environment and they need to adapt. And so we we've, a lot of our efforts have been around educating businesses on different alternative solutions they can use that fit in the COVID-19, whether it's contactless payments, remote payments, whatever it may be, to help them curbside payments, right, to help them in this environment. So, so that actually has been an interesting um, uh, kind of aspect of the whole COVID process we're all living these days. Uh, and so, so it's actually an opportunity for us to deliver more value to our business clients. And so that, that's a welcome opportunity to help them. The, on our side, um, the, um, our ability as a company ourselves in the COVID environment, we, we really transitioned to remote work very quickly. So it was, it, it, it's difficult not to be faced to face with our people, right? Certainly it creates certain communication challenges and whatnot, but really we've transitioned into the remote environment well. So, so that we've kind of haven't missed much of a step uh, from our company internally. Uh, 
in terms of where do we go next, um, we're continuing to look at, at expanding. We have clients all across the U.S. The way we go to market is through trusted uh, parties that refer business to us. We don't go to market direct. Um, we, we go through third parties such as community banks, CPA firms, uh, and the like that have a trusted relationship with a business. And then they're asking us to help manage this little niche area uh, of the payment space for that business. So most of our channels, uh, alliance partners, if you will, that we work with that refer business to us are throughout the Midwest. We have clients coast to coast. We manage businesses coast to coast, but our alliance referral partners are predominantly through the Midwest. And we're now expanding that nationally. So pushing out uh, to expand that to East and West Coast as well. I love hearing about, you know, what they say, the niches, the riches are in the niches, right? And it sounds like something you've, you've really honed down on a certain aspect of the market that, again, probably the average person doesn't really even think about that often until it's needed. And so I appreciate any time a business can focus on that certain aspect of the business or that certain area and it sounds like you guys are doing it, you know. I don't know a lot of other – I guess I haven't really been looking, but I haven't seen a lot of businesses that are niched down as far as you are in this aspect. I don't know. And maybe right. maybe you do have a lot of competition. I'm not sure. We, we do. There, there's a fair amount of competition, but the, what we saw is an opportunity. So the three of us, the, the, the three business partners here, including myself, what we saw was an opportunity to bring a different business model into this space. So there's – thousands of companies that sell credit card services. Right. Right. We came in and said, but, but, and also I'll just say um, uh, my opinion that this industry that we're in is fraught with, uh, I would call it unethical sales behavior. Yeah. Right. Kind of bait and switch uh, promise one thing, but, but, and then kind of as a salesperson disappear and not deliver on it. Um, and, and we saw that. So we saw an opportunity that said, if we just come into this space, we actually advise business and what's their interest. We're completely open and transparent and open book. And we hold ourselves accountable to av- actually deliver what we think we can deliver in value to that client, cost savings and improved processes, et cetera. We actually will differentiate in the market because nobody's doing that. <laughs> and and if we just kind of shine a light on some of the unethical sales practices that are being used there that trap businesses into high cost or inefficient systems, um, then, then we actually bring value through that as well. So, so that's the niche we've kind of said. If, if you look at our mission statement as a company, it is not about how big are we going to get, right, or how much revenue we're going to have. It is about transforming the payments industry one client at a time. Yeah. And that is a broader mission, which for me personally, and I think for our people as well, is more exciting than here's how big I want to get. <laughs> right. Of course. So, and, and that so goes back getting to excitement around that mission. Uh, I, I personally, that's what gets me excited. Right. Is about that mission specifically. Well, I can't agree more. And that's when I go back to that when I said uh, the difference between an infinite mindset and a finite mindset. A finite mindset is going to um, 
focus on the quarterly returns or the bottom line profit, which we're all in business to make a profit. To me, that's a given. But when you can identify a larger cause or something that's bigger that well, that's bigger than yourself and easy to wrap your arms around, that's that's when you're kind of focusing or you're shifting to the infinite mindset. And so that what you stated right there is what I consider an infinite. That's the long game, right? And you're right. And then it is more exciting and more, um, to me it is anyway. And if I was working for you, that would be something I could wrap my arms around as opposed to let's see how many clients I can get in the next quarter, which that's a given, right? We're always trying to find clients, but we're trying to find them that fit that who are, who need what you just stated there, right? I don't know if that makes sense or not. I, I always joke, Richard, that if when I'm at the dinner table with friends, if I talk about, hey, I'm focused in the payment space, that that's not very sexy. But exactly. if I talk about our mission, right, and what we're trying to do, that starts to get fun, right? And so it's more interesting or sexy for me to think of it that way than and it is, hey, I do payments. Right? <laughs> right. So. Well, yeah, and certainly you know, having your ego satiated at a dinner party is, is one thing for sure, but I get what you're saying. But I, I think there's a <laughs> there's a deeper meaning. Uh, there's something authentic about what you're trying to con- – and it doesn't matter what the product is. And that's what I try to get across to people is that it doesn't matter what the product is. Yeah, you know, and that's what the Marine Corps did so well is that, that – you know, you could be turning wrenches in the motor pool or you could be flying fighter jets or being the guy that's kicking down doors and, and taking names. But at some element, they'd made you feel like you're part of this unique culture. And I think that's where that's where businesses need to focus on is like, yeah, we may just be an accounting firm or we may just be making, you know, birdhouses for a certain hummingbird, which isn't very sexy. But if you, you, you can take the mission and show people that you're making the place better than you found it in some aspect, then you're living up, I think, to the universal obligation that we all have, right? Which is to make the place better than we found it. And Absolutely. To, I couldn't yeah. agree more. Well, this has been fun, Mike, and, and I appreciate, and I, you know, I, I know I probably got a little uh, technical and geeky about the business, but I, I just get excited about, you know, I, I don't know anything about this area. And when I find out people are kind of, niching down, like I said, and finding, you know, uh, solving people's needs in some aspect, it just makes me happy. And to me, that's the ultimate in leadership. And, and you're doing a lot of things. And I think for me, the lessons learned in this in this conversation is the power of an open and transparent and uh, kind of mindset, which is, you said is already in your mission. It's what you believe. It's what you teach your clients. It just produces a culture of accountability, and and that's how we solve all our biggest challenges and problems. And I think you're you're hitting on the head. Yeah, we, we're really. Um, I, I I appreciate your comments and your thoughts there. First of all, thank you for that. Um, it, it is hard work to to accomplish that, and I'm sure we can always be better. Uh, but but we feel good about where we've gotten to. Yeah. Um, and, and you mentioned something there, um, Richard, around transparency and communications in the company. Uh, our people are fully informed on all aspects of our company yeah, all the time. So um, when, if you talk to any of our people, they understand where we're at as a business, what major things are happening, what our goals are, where we're trying to get to, what's the next steps. Um, our people know everything 
going on in the business, any direction we're taking. They, we have a, a, a enough comfort in our cap- company that our people feel very comfortable challenging us. If they don't think that aligns with what we said our company is about or our core values, uh, they'll call us on it. And, and we're communicating all the time. We meet regularly, know our business plan in detail. Uh, and they know as we go quarter to quarter exactly what we're doing or any direction we're taking. And so they have an opportunity to have input to all that and understand it and challenge it. And so uh, that is a critical part of what we do as well in, in that ongoing communications. Again, it takes work and effort, but, but it really pays off. I love it. And I can't agree with you more. I think that that is the key. And I love it when organizations are focused on that. And as an aviator, that's kind of our mantra when we're in the the cockpit. It's like it's not our right to challenge each other. It's our obligation. And, and I think that's yeah. great advice that every business can can live and thrive by. Great stuff. Well, Mike, how can people learn more about MSP and get in connect with and connect with you? Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to get to talk with you and and uh, share some of what we're doing and learn from you as well. Awesome. And how can people reach out to you? I'll have links to the website or anything specific you want me to, or you want people to know how they can get in touch with you? Sure. Um, we, we have, certainly you can go out to get MSP Advantage, uh, our website anytime and, and contact us through that. Uh, and all our contact information is out there. And we welcome anybody reaching out to us. We, we love to talk to uh, people and businesses and educate. Uh, that's a lot of what we do is education as, as a part of what we do to advise. And we, we love doing that. Um, so we, we welcome anybody reaching out. Great. Fantastic stuff. I'll have all links to this in the show notes. Mike, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Hey, thanks so much for tuning into the show. I hope you got some value out of this episode. If you did, please do me a huge favor. Tell somebody about this show. Tell your spouse, tell your kids, tell your coworkers. Let them know about the value that Dosa Leadership brings to your world. Go to dosaleadership.com. You can learn more about my services. If you're looking for somebody to speak, teach, or coach about leadership, I'm your guy. I'm known for my ability to transform individuals and organizations, teaching them the concept of creating a culture of decentralized leadership. I do think that is the secret sauce to facing all the challenges that we face today. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. I look forward to the next time we're together. And until the meantime, make it a great one.